Let me pray as we get started. I'm Mark Buckner, I'm the pastor here, and I, I love Jesus and I love his people. So Lord, we just thank you for your kindness to us, and we ask that you would open up our hearts to your word today, that as we, we read it, it would not just be printed information, but it would be alive and active, it would be sharp, it would penetrate our, our, the deepest part of our beings, and we, we uh, agree with it, Lord, and we say yes and thank you. Amen. We have been in a, uh, a series called Holiness, W-H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S, and the, we've morphed a couple of words, wholeness and holiness. And then the last couple of weeks as we started coming toward the end, I was growing in a, in a burden that we'd spent a lot more time on wholeness than holiness. And... Uh, I think it's critical that we, we're in a process of restoration. The first three weeks or four that I was speaking, I was talking about sanctification and that it's an outworking of the salvation that God has given us, that it's, it's something that we receive by grace, and, but we, as we submit to God and receive his power, all of the, the truth of that experience becomes real in our lives. And... So there is a transformation. There's something that we're looking at happening in us, but it comes because of who he is. It becomes because of the original template. It, becomes because of, it comes because of an understanding of his perfection. And that is, that's where we're going. And I, I think part of the burden that I feel as I, every time I get into uh, this teaching or any process of transformation is an awareness of my own weakness, my own brokenness, and I need to go back to a vision of all that God is and all that he has to inspire me, to humble me, and to give me strength. There's a, a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman that, uh, called Much of You, and he's, he says, how could I stand here and watch the sun rise, follow the mountains where they touch the sky? Ponder the vastness and depth of the sea and think for a moment the point of it all is to make much of me. Now, we all individually have tremendous value. Your life was worth the cross. But the purpose of all this is Jesus. He's, he's the center. He is what this is all about. And so we can't be whole without understanding his holiness. And I, I want to always be inspired. I don't know, how many of you watched some part of uh, Billy Graham's funeral? Anybody in here? Not as much. Well, I encourage you to. And especially to watch uh, just... Uh, hmm? Ann Graham Lotz, his daughter, is the best preacher of the bunch. He's amazing. But his, all of his children at, uh, in North Carolina, so you say uh, Billy Graham's funeral, children's testimonies, look that up. It's about 15 minutes of each one of his kids coming up and talking and telling about their relationship with their father. And uh, that Ann Graham Lotz is up there just going for it. And, uh, and she says, Daddy, his, his casket is right there in front of you. And she says, Daddy, 
I commit to preaching the gospel till the day of my death. And uh, then the, the daughter by, behind, right after her, gets up and says, well, I have a Billy Graham story. And basically, she said, after my second divorce, I went home. I was married for five weeks, and I had to flee for my safety. My parents, my daddy told me not to do it. And I'm two days driving back to the house, thinking, what do I say? He said, what do you say to your father? And then she said, what do you say to Billy Graham? <clears throat> and they live on the side of a, house, of a mountain, and she's on this switchback going back and forth up to the house. <clears throat> And she said, there he was standing at the end of the driveway. And uh, she got out of her car and he said, welcome home. So story after story like that inspire me. I want to do whatever it takes to live a life that has a testimony that can be passed on to the next generation. And this came as one of his other children was saying, it came because he wrote about heaven. He preached about heaven, and now he's in heaven. And it's, it's all about Jesus. So we want to be inspired. We want to be made into his image. And, and we want all that he has. One of the... the as I, we talk about holiness, I, it morphs a great deal in my mind, into the subject of the fear of the Lord. And sometime last year, I taught on the seven devotional prayers that I use to, in my own life to, uh, to get a, a regular pattern of building a soul that I want to present to God. And the first step in holiness to me, in, in how I've, just the understanding that I've been walking out, is the fear of the Lord. This awesome reverence and picture for who he is. And it's not a fear of rejection. It's not a fear of shame. It's not a fear of evil. See, we can, we can be so aware of evil, <clears throat> so impressed with evil, and only aware of God. And he wants us. The fear of the Lord <clears throat> is to be impressed with God and aware of evil, not the other way around. So we're not consumed with this uh, awareness of, of the darkness that's around us, but the awareness of this bright, radiant God that we're, we're serving. There is, a, there is a, an awareness that, of the brokenness in the world that that is, is painful, that does make me say, Lord Jesus, bring a renewal of the work of your purposes here in New England. I don't know how many of you are aware of uh, the, the Christian, largest Christian ministry of the Harvard campus has just been put on probation to be put off of the campus because of some of their standards and, and what they believe in God's word. And it's just one more place where you say, wow. Jesus, we need you desperately. We need a revelation of you. We need a revelation. And Lord, give them confidence to hold on to your word deeper than ever before and not let go of it. So all of this 
is a desire to grow in a perspective of God's holiness, and I would say out of the fear of the Lord. I had an experience a few years ago that, that to me, uh, it was one moment in my life where this picture of the character of God and his power and ability lit me up. I was in a meeting in 1988 in Kansas City. It's a leadership conference. And uh, I'd heard about a couple of different people that were going to be there and listened to some, some of their testimonies. And so uh, a number of the people on staff of the church that I was at took off. We like, we want to be there. God's there. The prophet's in town. And I want to hear what he has to say. I want to I experience this presence of God at the next level. So we, we took off on our 12-hour drive, and we got there, and the place was buzzing. And it was true. We, they, they had prophetic ministry at a level that I'd never experienced before. And uh, they, they called our team in. So there's more than one person that was walking in this ministry. I had a number of different teams. And uh, when they spoke over our leadership group, we were going, wow. This is accurate. And that evening, we were in the meeting, and this man got up to speak, and he taught for a while, but then he started moving in what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 describes the word of knowledge, and that is being able to see things in people's life or know things about people that you do not know out of your own natural information. It's coming. It is a gift. It's a place where God gives you something that you didn't have any practical uh, connection for knowing that. There are other gifts that we see in 1 Corinthians 12, of miracles, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discerning of spirits. Uh, but this man gets up in front, and we're all eager, like, oh, wow, okay, man, we're going to get to see some fireworks right now. This is going to be so cool. And then he says, right there on the end of the row, do you stand up? says, we've never met before, right? And the guy's kind of like this. No. He said, your name's Albert. God has something to say to you. Leave Bill alone. We stopped saying, me, 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 me. And everybody put their head between their legs. (laughs) And... It was interesting, in another teaching I heard, he said, you know, it's actually just as easy to see sin in the Spirit as it is to see disease. And uh, there was a story of another place of ministry that he was in where, uh, and he said, it's actually, and he was a young man at this point in time uh, that he's talking about this story. When when, uh, When we experienced this ministry in the 80s, he was in his 70s. But he's going back to earlier in his life, and he said, you know, you, you could see people healed, but he, and this is the little kid in him. He said, but it's just a totally different level of excitement when you start calling out sin. He said, you know, people just start jumping around the room and all this stuff goes on. And he's, For example, I was in this meeting one time, and God just clearly showed me there's a man in this part of the room that was having adultery with a woman on that part of the room. And so I just said it out loud. He said, half of the people 
ran for the door and half the people ran to the altar. So the people that ran for the door had what's called the fear of man. I I don't want anyone to know what's going on in my life. And the other half had the fear of the Lord. And they said, Jesus sees everything. And I'm throwing myself at his mercy right now. This was the atmosphere that I was in at that point in time, in this meeting, going, God is powerful. There's nothing in all creation, it says in in Hebrews chapter 4, that's hidden from his sight. So what are we talking about the fear of the Lord? A sense of awe. And it's, it's not, yes, you know, some people go into talk about the fear of the Lord and the sense of God's holiness. They say, well, it's not really fear. I want to tell you, it's fear. <laughs> you know, John, the, the one, the beloved, was getting a revelation of, of Jesus in, in Revelation chapter 1, and he fell on his face as dead. When God is really present, you are trembling. It's not like, oh, sense of respect. Awesome, God. You're awesome. Way to go, God. You're cool. No, you're a little bitty kid going, help me. You are awesome. I, I have a few different pictures that I just want to go through quickly. Aspects that I think about that... How do I grow in an awareness of the holiness of God? Because this is, Miss Little, um, this is how I get a hold of this revelation. This is a motivation for my life to move forward. And it is, Lord Jesus, as I think about us as a community, I want you to Hate evil and love the good. I want you to fear God. And that's one definition of the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. And I, I, uh, I see the holiness of God in his power. Of course, he, he created everything that is in existence. But I, I imagine the presence of God like sitting in a room with a nuclear bomb. No bad intentions. You know, bomb doesn't want to hurt anybody. It's just sitting there. But the power is so immense. Can you imagine being one of the people in the silos sitting by the nuclear bombs? There is a sense of awe. There is phenomenal power there. And so I think about that. God, you who have tremendous power. C.S. Lewis spoke in a... Uh, I believe it's the very first line, the root witch in the wardrobe, where uh, is it the beaver is talking to someone, and they say, uh, after they see Aslan, you know, is he, a, is he tame? Like, can we get near him? Is he going to be okay? Is this too dangerous? And he says, oh, no, no, no. He's not a tame lion, but he's good. So he is powerful. His holiness, he is beautiful. He's more majestic than anything you could possibly imagine. <clears throat> There's, uh, um, I'm not sure if I have that passage in Ezekiel. 
I'm going to stand back here and read it. So this is, in different places in Scripture, there is a revelation of heaven. I, uh, in, in, in Revelations chapter 5, uh, Paul spoke of having a revelation of, of heaven, in, uh, although he didn't give detail in the second book of uh, Corinthians. But here we have Ezekiel. And there's awe in this, but it's, it's unimaginable beauty. There came a voice from above the vault over their heads. And this is talking about these beings that were, had four different faces and, and eyes all over their bodies. And uh, they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of... Someone's pronounced this for me. Lapis lazuli. Lazuli. And high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as full of fire. And that from there down he looked like a fire and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. His holiness has unimaginable beauty. It's profound that holds us in awe. And His wisdom, His holiness of His wisdom, we go to Job chapter 38. And there's this argument that goes back and forth between all of Job's friends and... uh, And then he says, in the fourth verse, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Now, here we are. So, I, you know, I'm saying this to myself. We could be speaking to some person that you sense it's like there's, there is a lack of awe of God in their lives. Therefore, their view and their clarity of seeing him is inaccurate. They have no ability to grasp who he is until they see how incredibly awesome he is. So God is speaking about his wisdom, and and he's rebuking Job and these other men. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together... And all the angels shouted for joy. So God himself holds everything in creation. It's a, uh, I, I believe that uh, astronomers would say that the, all the galaxies, everything in creation is still expanding. When God said, let there be light, and when he spoke creative words that was so powerful, it has not stopped. And I don't know if you've ever gotten a National Geographic magazine that they'll fold out. I like National Geographic because they had pictures of places where I lived. And uh, you know you're a missionary when you can open up National Geographic and say, yeah, no, oh, there's Bill. Yeah, what's he doing? <laughs> but you open this up and it talks about here's our solar system, here's our galaxy, here's the next level up, and here's the next level up, and here's the next level up. And, and if you can just meditate on that, and you're just going, this is so incredibly phenomenal. I, I'm just, ah, 
ah, I don't know if I can grasp this. God holds everything in his hand like a jewel and knows the thoughts of seven billion people intimately and relates to all of them personally. God is big. He's awesome. And his wrath is awesome in Revelation chapter 16. Just talking, so I'm, I'm going to not go down that road, but I'm just putting that out there. As you read the book of Revelation and you're, you're, you're stepping back and saying, he is a holy God and he's above everything that I could imagine. So what do we do with this? How do we specifically grow in the holiness of God? And as again, as we grow in holiness, this is our wholeness. This is the completeness you're looking for. This is the clarity that you're looking for in your identity. This is the, 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 the confusion that you're wanting broken off of your life. It's coming as you grasp God's holiness. Well, first of all, the first step is repent of wrong views. God, if I've judged your character that you are, you are only all about rules, forgive me. You are not the one that's just a bunch of rules. You're not the galactic policeman. Your purposes are higher, and every one of your words is true. Lord, forgive me. If you think he's the God that is distant and not caring, Lord, I repent of that. Repent of your wrong views of God. If there's any place, as you're reading along in Scripture, and it contradicts something in your experience, something in your imagination... Turn from that and embrace his truth. How do we grow in a picture of his holiness? I I think it's meditating on what I said just before, on his vast size, ability, and character. You take any one of these passages and say, today, this is my my quiet time for a week or a month that I'm just going to go again and again deeper into trying to grasp the beauty, the wisdom the awesomeness of God. And then one way that's just very simple to me in growing in the awesomeness of God is, is by growing in a respect for his word. I'm going to read out of Psalm 119 in just a moment. Back to the Billy Graham story, there was a man who uh, was his peer, his name's Charles Templeton, back in 1946. They were the big names, the evangelists, these two men in 1946, and they, uh, they were part of a ministry called Youth for Christ. And it was said that actually Templeton was the, the better speaker and saw more powerful things happen. But what's documented in, in Templeton's writings, as well as in Billy Graham, was they had a divergence. And Templeton started saying, I don't know if I believe this aspect of God's word. I don't know if I can handle this narrative right here. I'm not sure if I agree with this. And Billy Graham responded saying, you know, I don't understand all of these things either, but I submit to the word of God. I'm trusting this. Over time, Templeton stepped away. Uh, he, he 
from his ministry and went to seminary. And uh, he went to, to Princeton Seminary and came under uh, in his story. He talks about different men that taught that in their desire for some sort of an, an intellectual honesty, they chose to judge God's Word rather than be judged by it. They chose to put themselves in a position of authority to analyze and speak into it rather than, and enter critique rather than saying, Lord, your word, your thoughts are higher. Within 10 years, Templeton declared himself an agnostic. And, um, and one of, the, I think so many different articles have come out since Billy Graham's death, and one was related to this man. And he was interviewed by uh, this is a guy that was in, uh, uh, he was a, a journalist, he wrote a, a number of excellent jo- apologetics books, Lee Strobel. And, uh, and he's interviewing this man. And it was interesting. He said, in his interview, he's talking with him, and it's kind of antagonistic, going back and forth a little bit. You know, he's got, he's got an edge to his voice. And then Lee Strobel asks him, and this man has passed away in uh, 2012, so this was maybe uh, 15, 20 years ago. But he finally, he turned to him, and he said, but what about Jesus? And he said, he just, it totally unhooked him. It's like... And all of a sudden, his head went down, and he said, Jesus. And he he started talking, like telling stories and expressing the feeling, like, yes, there's no one like him. And It's like a sermon all of a sudden starts coming out of him. No one had the wisdom of Jesus. No one had the power of Jesus. No one had the words of Jesus. And then it shifted after a few minutes, and he said, but I've, I've lost him. And, and Strobel said, this strange thing happened. This brilliant man, proclaimed atheist, he, he just put his hand over his face and just began to sob. So he's, in losing God's word, he lost his relationship with Jesus, and he lost everything. So in pursuing holiness... I want to read this to you, and I want to ask you, as I read this passage, is, you know, I just uh, two days ago, I read through all of Psalm 119, and just praying this. It starts off, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They knew nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. So I'm shifting to the 31st verse, and there's a few verses in this chapter, 176 to be exact, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, it's right in the middle of the Bible, but it doesn't take that long to pray this through. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding 
and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Now, anytime you're reading something like this, there's a sense of like, oh my gosh, am I a hypocrite? Do I really believe what I'm saying? Can I really live this out? And there's a, the humility is just saying, Jesus, I trust you to work in me what I'm saying right now. I agree with your word. Let it be true. <coughs> I agree with the psalmist. Let it be real in my life. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I will find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Do you need to say that 40 times a day in order to get your mind focused off of the internet or off of some perversion? Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Let this be the, the, the under your breath voice. Lord, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. We stand up right now and the worship team come on up. And I, you are not forced to read this right now, but I want to invite us to read this together. And this is a prayer. This is you leaning into the grace of God, saying, let it be so in my life. Let it be true in me. I want this. And so I'll try to keep a cadence that is, can be followed. But I'm, I, I believe God's word is, is powerful. And when we're saying this, we're praying this, you're praying something that is noble and true. It's worth asking for. It's worth confessing. Not required, but I invite you to consider this, to read along with me, and to make this a prayer in your heart. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. I can submit this to you to, to make the core of your path toward wholeness to be looking for a revelation of the holiness of God. We're going to take time to pray right now. And if, if there's any place of ministry that you'd like, I invite you to confess your sin. I invite you to 
pray for whatever needs that you have in your life. If you want to, you're needing a job, if there's a, someone in your family that's sick or you're sick, we want to agree. We want to ask in Jesus' name that his will would be done in your life. So I want to ask a few people that have been involved in our prayer teams in the past, elders, faith group leaders, life group leaders, come on up. As we worship, you respond to Jesus in whatever way that he leads you. You may just want to kneel down or sit down right where you are and journal, but, but we are taking this time just to interact with him for a few minutes. So let's worship. Let's worship.